Hey, very good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Sean. This is Alex. And you're listening to another episode of Coaster Kings Radio. This week's episode talks about SeaWorld San Diego. We actually just went last week, as you may have seen in our new YouTube vlog. Uh, we just haven't gotten time to really talk about it yet. But uh, we figured, why not take you on the tour of SeaWorld San Diego, kind of discuss all the awesome attractions. It's a pretty prominent new coaster lineup. And what they have to offer animal attraction-wise. And yeah, that's what we did. I love this part. It's just so substantial in a way that I feel like, as much as we love all of the SeaWorld parks, this one kind of gets the least amount of attention because it's the least coaster-heavy. In the coaster enthusiast circles, for sure. Yeah, in our circles, it gets talked about the least. And yet, I feel like of all the SeaWorld parks, it definitely, definitely has the most substance overall. I think it's also because the cleanest products. Now we must we, we must remember this is the original. Polished. Yeah, and it's also like located on Mission Bay. So half of the park is on the ocean, on you know, on the bay in a way. So which is kind of nice. Uh, SeaWorld San Diego is unique in that regard because obviously Orlando is just in between city blocks, really. Um, and then you have the one in San Antonio, which it's also has a nice location. Yeah. It's on a hill, so you can kind of see all San Antonio in the distance. But for a park theme, that's the ocean. It is nice to have one that's actually on the ocean. ocean. And you can really kind of feel like it has the old bones because it's very big on landscaping. It's very much almost the more trees gardening. are so mature. There's yeah. more gardens than a bush garden. Yeah, kind of it's, vibe, it's, as, as it's we talk about it's it. truly the most gardeny of like the, the seven bush gardens, SeaWorld parks, parks, entertainment parks, actually. So we'll start off with the entrance of the park. We're just going to dive right in. So we'll start our tour wow, with Explorer's it. Reef. <laughs> now, Explorer's Reef is the park's entrance that was launched in 2012. Or was it 2014? Something like that. Something like that. And um, it's actually the new entrance of the park that is filled with touch pools. So the first thing you do when you enter um, underneath the big SeaWorld wave is you enter an interactive touch pool area that has um, several touch pools, including feeder fish, sharks, uh, horseshoe crabs. Mm-hmm. And then it also has incorporated in it um, several little cafes where you can either grab some coffee, some quick snacks, uh, sandwiches. I think we had some wraps, mm-hmm. pretty straightforward stuff. Starbucks. And then, of course, you have the main SeaWorld store right there as well. Yeah. Um, great merchandise, by the way. I think one of the better parks just in general that isn't like Disney or Universal when it comes to merchandise. We mm-hmm. found some awesome California-specific SeaWorld merchandise. Really, yeah. really into it. Republic of California SeaWorld merch. So, of course, we bought a ton of that. Look what it's see, uh, see what it looks like. You can uh, hit up our YouTube vlog. Oh, yeah. Um, at the end mm-hmm. of it, we kind of showcase the design. Uh, really, really fun. But yeah, that is actually, I think, my favorite entrance of any of the SeaWorld parks and entertainment parks because it kind of throws you right into the action, but it does so kind of carefully. It's not overwhelming, but it also is Im- immediately immersive. It's so kid-friendly. It, like, hits the, you hit the ground running, and you have an attraction, like, right out the gate. It's like, fun because at the end of like at the end of the day and the end of the day there's, there's always activity, but also it's one of those entrance areas that doesn't get abandoned in the middle of the day. I feel like a lot of parks, the entrance area is just kind of like clearly an entrance area, but it doesn't serve much else of a purpose. Yeah. Now here it's nice because even in the middle of the day when you kind of casually scroll through it again after the orca show or whatever, or after the new sky tower, there's always activity. There's people you know touching, looking at the touch pools, looking at the animals. Um, it's really clever use of space because now the moment you enter the park, it's substance. The entire place, and especially in the front side of the park, we'll discuss the back side in a little bit. Uh, it's all substance. And I'm just not used to parks. I mean, think about Busch Gardens Tampa. Think about Busch Gardens Willenburg. Think about SeaWorld San Antonio or SeaWorld Orlando. All those four parks, the entrance is just kind of the entrance. Mm-hmm. And there really isn't much until you get to like the first major attraction. But at SeaWorld San Diego, the moment you enter, it's you know it's part of the park. It's, it's busy all day long. Uh, kind of nice. Kind of different. Definitely. 
Now, uh, off to the right, um, when you come in, the is... Ocean Explorer. Is Ocean Explorer, which is the next newest area, um, famous for its short-lived and absolutely horrendously awful um, submarine ride. <laughs> we wrote it um, like the opening month, and it didn't yeah. last long after. So I guess we're we're the kind of unique in having that credit. Terrible. God, it's the funniest. We scene. waited in this long ass line. Yeah, we were with Ryan and Caitlin, right? And we just kind of rode. Yeah, like, it wow, was like, like to get what on. is this? And then we got on, and we're like, what the hell did we just ride? So dumb. But it's funny, though, because at least listen to our memories. Uh, it, was, it was a fun idea. I look forward to seeing what they're replacing it with. But the area itself is quite nice yeah. because it also has a couple of flat rides. It has a, a pretty major um, usual, what do you call that, swing ride, I yeah, guess. Yeah, uh, wave swinger, zero wave swinger. Uh, which is called Tentacle Twirl. Little triage of name. rides. And it's a major restaurant, so there, there, there's food to be had. Yeah. Uh, there's a little beer garden they've designed. Now, um, obviously, there's also some aquariums. Not very, very large, but there's a crab and an octopus aquarium mm -hmm. that are right where the submarine, the submarine ride used to be. So the submarine ride kind of went straight over that, and now, obviously, that ride I is gone. I think the submarine ride... I know that, like, the rumor is that they're going to put a scream and swing in there, but it has, like, an extensive queue and, like, an indoor station. They should just put a kitty coaster in there. Or, like, a, imagine? a decent-sized family coaster. Like, something maybe slightly bigger than the Grover soapbox derby coaster that they just put at Sesame Place. But, like, family, like, a, you know, a zero, like, force one kind of thing. Well, it's I like still custom. think a screaming swing would be nice because that just kind of gives a little more of, a, of an alternate experience, kind of something else. Because I mean, if you look at the way that the one looks at Seoul San Antonio, which, again, thanks God for the invite because you yeah. can make it out. Um, there, um, the, the way they themed it with the coral on the supports and the blue and the green and, you know, it looks exactly like everything in this area. So I really think it'll be a great fit. And I think next to Electric Ela won't be so overpowering. You know how sometimes these screaming swings just look too big and too, almost like out of place. Like, yeah, I mean, they're just massive, <laughs> massive attractions that look kind of weird sometimes. But, um, I think next to Electric Ela, which is a tall, supportful yeah. curtain of steel. I think it looks fine. And I actually, looking, I feel like they had room. They could have room for both. I feel like they could put two rides in this plot if they wanted to. I feel like the plot is because it was a, a tracked ride. It took up a lot of space. They've got more room to work with than like just a single flat ride spot. And the station is so, so substantial. It's such a big structure. Like I don't know if there's a way for them to repurpose it with a scream and swing. Basically, I think they can do both. I'd love for them to put a screaming swing like right out in front of it, and then have a coaster kind of wrap around it. I mean, that's all really cute, but you got to remember they swing. Like you need to have an envelope outside. Do they? Of it. Do they swing? Yes, they do. Are you sure? You no, know, it swings the launch on Electric Eel. Mm -hmm. So also part of the area <laughs> is Electric Eel, which is the uh, twenty eighteen edition. Um, a skyrocket to 150 feet tall. Nice thing about a park like SeaWorld San Diego on Mission Bay with the Coastal Commission. Um, kind of limiting high structures and all that kind of stuff. Um, rides like Electric Eel and Emperor really feel massive. They kind of have a 200 feet kind of vibe, despite being only 150 feet each um, in height, which is kind of nice because I'm just not used to having Skyrockets be standalones like that, you know, not without their major taller coaster counterparts around them. So at Seawood San Diego, it really kind of feels like it's way bigger than it really is. Um, kind of nice. I like it a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, ride itself is a great fit for the park. Um, really cute queue. The, the way they land, they approach this ride is really heavy on the landscaping, which is always appreciated. But they kind of created this like open air, dry heat, coral reef kind of vibe. So the, the, the brush and the landscaping doesn't really require any watering. It's like and succulent. It's very like lights and landscaping, and gravel and sand, which is easy to maintain. It really works with the, the Southern California sunniness. Um, overall, this it's just a vibe. It's a really nice kind of um, 
you know, landscaping choice that I haven't seen in many parks beyond SeaWorld San Diego. They really have kind of a particular feel to it. Uh, but yeah, I, I really like the ride. I think it's a great fit for the park. Of all of, like, the SeaWorld Parks Entertainment Skyrockets, this one by far has the best presence because it doesn't feel... Like, in, in Busch Gardens Tampa and Busch Gardens Williamsburg, the Skyrocket was verging on unnecessary because it just didn't feel like it lived up to the expectations set by the kinds of coasters that these parks were building, like, in the 90s. But for SeaWorld, which has no expectations, really, for anyone for roller coasters, whether you're a coaster enthusiast or, like, a member of the general public, like, or anything in between, you don't go there really expecting much from the coaster collection, so a ride like Electric Eel really satisfies because it's, like, when it opened, it's the park's looper, it's the park's, like, high-profile thrill-ride experience... Um, so... I mean, it was the first time in recent history the park decided to use one of their select few opportunities to build over over 30 feet. Mm-hmm. So how it works is they have a couple of exemptions with a max height of 150 feet, but over 35 feet. Um, and it's kind of like a set number by the Coastal Commission. Now, there's maybe some parts in this that aren't 100% the correct terminology, but I'm just trying to paraphrase here. So, of course, they use one of those exemptions for the Sky Tower. Um, then they use an exemption for Electric Eel, and then I would have also used an exemption for um, Emperor, and back in the day they used an exemption for um, Journey to Atlantis. Now, if you wonder, well, how did build Manta? Well, Manta is completely dug into the ground, it's so where at no point it's tall. 35 feet over the skyline, meaning it was allowed to build without that exception. Very, like, Alton Towers. Which is really, really cool, <laughs> because, like, if you, you know, anyone that's written it knows that the ride really isn't that tall, but it does quite some things. That's because they dug out, like, at least 20 to 30 feet in, 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 early on in the ride which really helps with uh, with kind of hiding some of the, the taller, faster parts of the ride into the ground. Um, anyway, so because of that, the, the rides at SeaWorld San Diego that do stand tall, even if it's only 150 feet, they just feel massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what, what's so fun about Electric Eels. Besides it being a skyrocket, it's one of the few parks you like. You don't just think it's an afterthought or a cheap addition. Yeah. When they added this, was before Emperor. It was really like the biggest thrill ride the park had ever seen. And uh, people still treat it like that. Crazy about we were riding Emperor ride. a couple times, and even people next to us were like, people "Oh yeah, did you ride that one yet?" Electric Eel. You know, everyone thought Electric Eel was the biggest to ride like in the park. The hot. Which I guess kind of makes sense because you look at that giant inversion suspended yeah. 150 feet high. Even though we obviously prefer Emperor, I don't think it's a surprise. Yeah. Um, Electric Eel does have the um, the, the clientele's heart, which is fun to see because I don't think I've ever been to a park with a skyrocket where the skyrocket was so popular. Maybe right. when Superman opened the Discovery Kingdom, it kind of had yeah. that. But again, that was a four. It was really a clone. At the, at the other locations, like I just never really got that vibe. Yeah, other parks like maybe like Canopy Lake. Of course, theirs was closed when we went. Um, but and like Zombie Ride at Bullskin Magico, and maybe some of the European parks. It has like cultural significance or like local substantial significance. But this is really the only one in the United States that we've ridden that I feel like the general public is is like really really enamored with. Because even in Sea at Discovery Kingdom. You know the public's been distracted by other. Medusa is still the favorite. Medusa, Joker. You know, of course, the Bushgardens Tampa. Everyone seems to like Tigers, but it's one of those things where it obviously doesn't quite have the grandiosity. Even Bushgardens like announced it alongside Iron Gwazi as like a supporting role in their cast of characters, whereas for SeaWorld San Diego, it was given a starring role, like truly, and it deserves it because it's a solid ride. It really is, and I think the theme is nice, colors are nice. But that's just the nice thing about this park, is there are under so many restrictions when it comes to the way the skyline can look and how it needs to blend with the sky. 
that so sophisticated. there is a really sophisticated kind of color palette that is um, equal and complementing you know, itself throughout the park skyline and it's probably one of the cleanest looking parks in, in North America uh, that's for sure um, right adjacent to the ocean explorer area where electric is located you have Sesame Street Bay, Bay of, of Play. Play. Now, the funny thing about Sesame Street now is that right down in Chula Vista, a couple miles away, they now have the Sesame Place San Diego, which is a whole theme park that used to be Aquatica, mm -hmm. you know, the water park. Um, that used to, to be... It used to be Soak City, right? Yeah, not, not Soak, Soak City, City, Chula Vista. Aquatica, San Diego. And now it's... No, it's, um, Sesame Street, Sesame Place, San Diego. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is now, of course, they have that whole area here that has like the Big Bird Bistro, and then it has like three major flat rides, a giant splash pad, and a giant um, like walkthrough climb area. area, which low key is really cool though. We've we, we've climbed all over it in twenty because yeah. it's twenty seventeen. It's a lot like. 16. It was awesome. I mean, Bush Gardens but, Tampa had the has the Sesame Street Safari, safari. fun, yeah. Um, and then like SeaWorld Orlando's. Shamu's Bay of Play used to be like this with the big climbing area and stuff before they demolished it all for uh, um, Sesame, for Street. Sesame Street land. Now, what I find so funny now is, of course, they're coexisting. So in my head, I can't think of anything. I'm like, as of right now, it's a good little marketing preview. Like, oh, go check out our park in Chula Vista. Like, go check out the park just a few miles away. But I can't help but think there is no reason to have a whole Sesame Land over here if the same company is going to make just as much money sending people to the Sesame Park. So um, what I'm hoping to see, because it takes up quite some valuable real estate, this is definitely one of those SoCal parks that back in the day pioneered the industry but got built around quite a bit. I would really like for them to take some of the flat rides and keep them, perhaps retheme them, or literally just ship them straight over across the freeway. Yeah. And then use that area for a major new attraction, whether it maybe be a dark ride or maybe um, another roller coaster, whatever they can do, because again, the park is kind of landlocked or ocean locked, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and um, this area now seems to serve so much as a purpose, except for being a preview center for Especially the Bikini Park down the street. Like Ocean Explorer is also a kitty area, and it's also next to it. Like, it's almost, it feels somewhat I mean, there's a strategic. lot more to do than Coast Enthusiast think, because if you just look at the kitty flat rides alone, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and we've got the splash pad, the climbing area. And the kid aquarium over here, and then you have all of Explorers Reef entrance. I mean, that alone can keep kids occupied for hours. And I like, think the Chula Vista Park, I think Sesame Place, like they're off to a really good start because they've added a lot of substance. They basically took a giant water park um, and added yeah, a bunch of additional trash. They took to the existing water park and added a lot of dry flat rides, like family rides, and and like the Sesame Street block that Orlando has. Um, but and we we haven't been yet. We'll probably go eventually, but I think the, the the only thing that that park needs now that it's open and uh, sturdy is that it just probably needs a few more it needs a few more dry rides, which I think it'd be a very clever marketing ploy to like take the flat rides at Sesame Street Bay of Play and then move them to SeaWorld or to move them to Sesame Place and then market them as new rides, and people would people would fall for it. No, I think so, too. And it wouldn't necessarily be divisive as much as it would be like, well, we want to sell you a season pass to both of these parks anyway. It's just now we're kind of, we're redistributing. Oh, you can see the footprint for the kitty coaster. Yeah, so the funny thing is they really they really did add a giant part of the park that were used to be backstage. Several areas of the park that used to be backstage, they turned into Sesame Place. And we're then looking at it on Google Earth, They took the away um, <laughs> the biggest... The, 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 the big, scary, like, tall drop slides. Yeah. They took those away and turned it into a, a giant amphitheater. Overall, I mean, this is probably 
one of the most impressive family-oriented parks in the world because yeah. it is purely meant for families and kids. Like Sesame Place and Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. but it's the but it's, it's much it's, bigger. It's very large. It's the size of a, of a really nicely sized Aquatica, plus having several dry areas with roller coaster. Yeah. And it's with a like, strong. It was already a strong yeah, it's regional really nice. water park product. And the way it's located on the hill, there really is a lot of park that they can even still work with if they wanted to. Yeah. All the pathways that go up to the top of the hill where the slides start. This is a really unique park in the sense that. And when we went as Aquatica, we loved this Aquatica loved this park because yeah. you don't really have to climb a lot of stairs. Because the nice thing about Aquatica Chula Vista was, or you know, Sesame Place San Diego, is that you get to just walk up the side of the hill like in a giant circle that goes all the way up the hill, and all the slides are just kind of like up there. Yeah. So you don't have to walk up any stairs. Just set up on the topography. You just kind of walk all the way up the hill like on a slope, and then you just join any of the four. Well, it used to be four sets of slides. Now it's yeah. three sets of slides. And you just, you know, pick whichever one you want to take your way down, which is, you know, half their slide lineup didn't didn't require stairs, which is really unique. It's a yeah. very, like, Chula Vista thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I really think that they should just, you know, move those rides over to Sesame Place. Or, if anything, stop the SeaWorld stuff at, uh, sorry, stop the Sesame Place stuff at SeaWorld. Despite, I, I like it, don't get me wrong, but I just think that now there's a whole theme park for it. This is a great opportunity. They need to differentiate. Because that park is about the size of they SeaWorld They need to itself. diversify like, you mean, look at this. the marketing power like the marketing pull of Sesame Street and maybe pull their resources and funnel all of their Sesame Street energy into Sesame Place. Yeah, because turning um, the Big Bird Bistro into its own like maybe new gourmet restaurant and having a whole new area that's kind of themed whatever they choose the theme. I think the climbing area is probably reaching the end. Also, it's time to get rid of the arcade over here. So like, oh, you don't like the arcade? I love the arcade. Arcades are like very California parks from like eighties, nineties, whatever. But I just don't think uh, theme parks and arcades nowadays. If you're gonna be a big Big boy park doesn't really work for me, honestly. I mean, Disneyland still has an arcade. The Starcade? No, well, not it the Starcade. Don't they have a? I guess they don't have a video Negative. arcade anymore. But Magic Mountain still. It'd be funny if they made one for Tron and Magic Kingdom. <laughs> that's a whole different story. Anyway, <laughs> so let's head back to Explorers Reef. Um, you know the park entrance, right? Yeah. Obviously, across from it, you have the most iconic attraction there, the, the Sky, Sky Tower, and that giant tree that's like a hundred years old. Yeah, the the Sky Tower is awesome because it has that really old kind of Sea World vibe to it, but it's like the little pavilion, kind of vaguely and Japanese. Oh yeah, vibe to it totally, and which it's really works for how they built Manta 60s. next to it because Manta has that same kind of vibe they mm-hmm. went for. Um, and it has a little, you know, just the landscaping is is the pristine. landscaping here is just so awesome. You can't. Money can't buy these incredible trees that are so old and so mature, um, which is always like my number one complaint of new parks and stuff is that you just it's just hard to make a park feel grown in without it just being several decades old. So the way that this park feels old is so much to its credit in the same way that Disneyland feels old, not because it feels aged, but because it feels so grand and the the landscaping and stuff is so pronounced and and heavy and full so now the cool thing about sky tower is it's a double decker sky tower much like orlando's uh, but actually been using both decks which is fun mm-hmm. uh, it is a six dollar upcharge but it is complimentary for any um season pass or annual pass holders so we got in for free wrote a couple times um awesome views of mission bay san diego the pacific ocean it's a very pleasant the park ride. it's 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 one of those must rides i feel of all the sky well of, between this one and the Orlando one, this is the one if you're gonna pay. Got a nice remodel This is the one you want to pay cabin. for. Yeah, it's it's the just all very clean. The, it was just you could tell that like they remodeled it before they started charging extra for it. So it's kind of like on the one hand, I, I know people felt kind of cranky about 
it being an upcharge. I mean, this one has always been really nice. But then on the other though. hand, it's like, well, it's a really nice product. And, like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. If you're buying a one-day ticket to SeaWorld, this and uh, the Skyride, for that matter, which is also an upcharge now, um, probably wouldn't be on the average, like, single-ticket, single-day ticket holder's priority of, li- like, list priority anyway. So I feel like it really is just, like, a pass holder special kind of thing. And then, like, if you really... If you're there on a one-day ticket and, like, you're like, you really want to ride it, it's like, well, just ride it. Like, just pay the extra. It's not that big of a deal. It's like, I think it's worth it. I think so, too. For sure. Um, let's continue while we're right over there. Right next to it, you got the sea otter. Uh, the sea otters and the otter outlook, as oh, yeah, well the as otters, the dolphin points. Dolphins. Which is a couple of, uh, of dolphin interaction pools and, and, and an exhibit you can look at. There's also a cool lookout on top of the hill uh, with glass walls. It's a little so bit like SeaWorld sea Orlando's Key West area. Except it's like the Dolphins chilling, but yeah, it's it's regionally uh, appropriate. So in the because s- it's funny because of course Key West is regionally appropriate yeah. to Orlando. I never really kind of made the connection. Yeah, to both that. parks have these like dolphin exhibits unrelated to the dolphin show that are like local color focused. And then next up, we have um, the big attraction historically, um, the Orca Encounter area, the Orca exhibits. Now, you have the underwater viewing area, which is really nice here. It's awesome. Um, and like Orlando, there's pretty much always going to be orcas in there. In Orlando, they only have five orcas and pretty much a similar size uh, facilities, perhaps a little bit smaller. But, um, you know, the orcas are frequently not in the viewing area pool because that's only used for dining with orcas in Orlando. Uh, but here, there's always something to look at. So when we walk down there, you can see in the vlog... We were welcomed by like five or six wheels in, in the pool. Um, all the pools were open, so we just kind of swing around where they wanted. We hit it at the right time because we were all down in there. Uh, really, really nice setup. Very, very nicely manicured. It's just a, a great presentation. And again, it has that nice California flavor to it. Like the lumber that you can tell is 50 years old, but because of the climate, isn't rotten or dilapidated. It's just. Yeah, the trees like are all. It, it's wood. all very. I mean, it's very San Diego in, in so many ways. Um, the skywalks that that historically were open. I don't think they've been open since like twenty fourteen or something. But um, there there's skywalks that go over the the orca back pool, so people we used to be able to see the orcas swimming in the water. That's no longer open to the public. Um, but of course, the stadium itself is. Stadium is an updated version that they relaunched in twenty seventeen for the orca encounter, which is uh, full of rock work and waterfalls. A really really nice approach. Orca show-wise, uh, even though they're all called Orca Encounter here, San Antonio, uh, Orlando, and San Diego, of course, this one is, is a completely different pace. It's slow. It just kind of is a lot more educational. Um, the Killer Whale collection here with the nine, the nine orcas in the pod is phenomenal. It's, they're a lot older. They're a lot larger. There's more bulls, you know, some mills. Uh, overall, it's just a lot more impressive, I feel. Um, and the way that they do the shows is, is a lot more elegant. So it's almost like a completely different vibe um, when it comes to the animal interaction part of the killer whales in this park versus the other two, but in a good way. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. It's definitely my favorite of all of the orca presentations. We saw it four times on our trip. Yeah, we only went there for two days. <laughs> I mean, there were only four presentations at the time we were there we and we watched all of them. Yeah. yeah. It's just that good. And they're really, I mean, I, I really highly recommend anyone that is even a remote fan of the killer whale stuff at the other parks. Go check out the, the underwater viewing area and, and go see Work Encounter. It's really, really good. Next up, we'll talk about the original ride. Well, the original like, thrill like ride. non-observation This was attraction. the first thing. So I, I, kept, I kept meaning, like when we were there, I was like, when did Shipwreck 
Rapids open. I was like, when was this built? Because it just felt, this ride is so underrated, and in the lexicon of River Rapids rides, this is hands down one of the best Rapids rides and in the country. it's never really discussed. And, like, it just does not get talked about enough. It is a banger of a ride in general. Whether you like Rapids rides or not, there's just no denying that this is one of the strongest examples of a River Rapids ride. It has a fabulous, lengthy layout with animal exhibits, aquariums, and stuff. And it's one of them integrated with the park. So it has um, dining areas. It has a restaurant. It has viewing areas. It has animal exhibits. Yeah, it goes under the restaurant, which is themed to a giant shipwreck, per the name, Shipwreck Rapids. Yeah, the whole area is themed to, like, to ship the crash onto, um, you know, Lost Island, and it created all these little camps, and it created all these little things. It has its own There's a whole story. story. <laughs> Funny. That was not reversed. Um, <laughs> which is really, really cool. But can you guess when this ride opened? It opened... 93. No, oh, later than that. I, okay, 96. Yeah, it, it opened right after SeaWorld Parks Entertainment and um, Bush, like, merged. 99. 99. Very good. Oh, great. So we, we actually visited the park shortly after it opened then. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it opened May 29th, 1999. So this when was, I rode the first time, it was in 2001, I think. I so like to think that this ride was the first major influence in the marriage of the SeaWorld Parks Entertainment business model and the Bush Gardens business model, where obviously the Bush Gardens parks were very, very ride-centric. One of the first experiments that the SeaWorld parks employed with that merger was kind of turning SeaWorld San Antonio into, into a little Gardens bit of a Bush Gardens park, yeah. park by experimenting with roller coasters like the Great White and Steel Eel. And so to put Rio it back in perspective, yeah, Steel... Well, actually, Real Loco might have already been... Well, I don't know. SeaWorld, SeaWorld Orlando... SeaWorld... SeaWorld San Antonio was always a bit more ride-forward anyway because it was opened in the late 80s. So, like, they opened with their log flume. I think the Rapids ride came slightly later. But Chipwreck Rackets, you know, opened in the era of Apollo's Chariot and Steel Eel. So it was... This was, like, peak... Yeah, it's funny, because when I was a kid, this was, like, the ride. Like, when I went... Um, I was a small kid who lived in Europe. My parents always really liked SeaWorld. So I never went to California... To see family or something, SeaWorld was more the one thing we did uh, that was the Especially because like, your parents don't really care for rides that much. So no, like, but they always talk about this SeaWorld ride is such a waterfall at the end, thing. you know, the yeah. infamous waterfall. Um, and so I have a lot of appreciation for it. A funny little story I told Alex is the other day when we were at SeaWorld. Uh, this is actually the first time when I learned how close we were to Mexico. Because, um, mind you, I was just like age-old kid from Netherlands. And I did not realize that San Diego pretty much borders Mexico. And so there was like this... This, this huge group of visitors from Mexico. And I was like, oh, yeah, look, they're, you know, they came from Mexico. And I was like, oh, really? From all the way from Mexico? Not realizing they were literally like a 10-minute <laughs> ride from Mexico. I don't know. It's just a funny so story. So classic. Um, whenever I look at this ride, it brings me back to that moment. Um, but, yeah, overall, great rapids ride. I think my favorite part is the flamingo exhibit that's on it. And then also having the, um, the aquariums you go through. So this rapid ride passes by two... Um, sea turtle exhibits that you can also see from the midway inside the park and you just kind of navigate straight through it so it kind of feels like you're going through the pond with the animals in it really really neat I'm trying to find a map of like what this place like what the park looked like when this ride opened because it was truly aside from the sky tower and the sky ride which were only barely rides as far as like for rides sake go I mean the sky ride used to take you to the restaurant, the Atlantis restaurant on the other side of the bay. So that was more of a practical application of that ride system. And then the Sky Tower was, you know, it, it was only a ride in the most technical sense. But I feel like as far as 
a ride for the sake of it being a ride, like a thrill ride, like an attraction. This I'm pretty sure this was their very first foray into that territory. No, one thing that's a little disappointing about the restaurant aspect of things is the menu since COVID has kind of gone downhill. It used to be one of those places where like, there was a lot of really high-quality, alternating food, and now it's just honestly just burgers and like chicken, whatever, fried chicken. It's really not that special anymore, but Shipper Record used, um, used to have one of the best uh, dining quick service options in the industry. So hopefully to bring back kind of what was once the Shipwreck Reef Cafe menu, um, but I didn't notice that last time. It was kind of sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure there's. I'm sure it'll come back. It's it's gonna come back the way everything else did. I mean, it's funny to think like going to this park this year. I mean, the park hasn't even been open a year since COVID. Am I right? Like, well, with all the rides. With the rides, but they've been open yeah, as a zoo. As a zoo. Because uh, according, to, there's a Wikipedia page for there's an entire Wikipedia page for shipwreck rapids, and that's like. I feel like very symbolic of how impactful and impressive the ride is. There's also a little bit in there about the little submarine ride, and apparently, demolition on the ride for the submarine ride like happened right before the park reopened from COVID, which was like mid 2021 for the rides, right? Like it's there that long. I could have sworn they already removed it by the time I came back in 2018. According to Wikipedia, 20, but when the park reopened from COVID in 2021, that's what Wikipedia says. Oh, that like the ride had all but disappeared, basically. Interesting. Alrighty, anyway, so um, next up, we have um, the touch pools, or tide pools, with the, what are those fish called? Are they called starfish? The little, like, star-looking fish you can t- touch? Yeah, those are starfish. Okay, I didn't know what it was called. Sea stars. Sea stars. What do they call them in Dutch? Sea stars. They call them sea stars in Dutch? Yeah, translated. Yeah. Well, what is it What is it actually in Dutch? Zeesteren. Zeesteren. Okay. Anywho, so those are right over there. And it used to have um, this really cool aquarium called Aquaria World of Fishes. It's been closed for a while now. There's this like pretty much this wooden wall straight in front of the entrance. So I hope they bring it back. It was a really it was a really neat aquarium. It's quite large too. So it'd be kind of a loss to have that aquarium gone. It's especially because kind of there's like, another aquarium that's gone. It's like too. their general like reef aquarium, sort of like the the aquarium. Uh, this I feel like is the counterpart to the aquarium that's inside of the Manta Ride area. Or it's like general tropical reef. Um, obviously, you can find reef tanks and stuff in some of the other exhibits. Like in Orlando, you find them in the shark exhibit. Um, here, you can find reef tanks uh, around in the shark exhibit, in the turtle exhibit, and in the gift shop, the exit gift area for Atlantis, uh, probably among other places. But yeah, I, I remember really liking this aquarium on our past visits. It's also... Because of Title Twister, it's kind of like partially obscured. There used to be it's a funny little, how it fit in Title Twister. It's quite they impressive. To, they used to have the Octopus Aquarium. That in was right in the Bayside so Stadium. It's like inside of the Bayside Stadium. So that, but the Octopus viewing was moved to Ocean Explorer anyway. So they probably just retired that exhibit. Um, what is there to say about Toilet Twister? Not much. We never read that because it was already closed again. <laughs> when we came I think out, it, so. it opened. For, it was open for a couple of weeks and then it was closed and. So that is what it is. Yeah, um, okay. I mean, I think it's a really neat fit. The fact that it fit in there is pretty impressive. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll one day get to ride it. I do find it sad that the aquarium is retired because it would have been a really nice little high active area having the aquarium, the touch pools, and then Tyler's Whistle, but it is what it is. Yeah. Back in the park in general, see what's in Diego is a little empty because say, Bayside Stadium is only used for special events like Electric Ocean stuff. But, you know, that's been a minute since they've done anything there. 
Um, then you have a lot of walkways that are really classic, like concrete walkways or whatever. This is very walkways. like 1960s infrastructure. That's, um, that's you know, lots of palm trees, um, but there really isn't much going on. Now they built this new, or the currently building this new on the water kind of beer garden area where you can just relax. So that's all in construction, so there really isn't much to look at. There's an arcade back there. Also, don't really care for that because it's an arcade, and arcades are just arcades. <laughs> now, the base has Skyride is very nice because you take a, a Skyride over the bay, uh, past the marina, all the way over to what used to be that special restaurant. Now, you just turn around and, um, and come back. But the views are awesome. That's definitely a highlight of SeaWorld San Diego. Um, and then also back there, you have uh, access to Manta. So Manta can kind of be accessed from precisely in the middle of the park, but also from the infrastructure back by the Bayside Skyride. Which is um, also where you can go to the Manta Touch Pools, which are quite popular. They're really nice. There's also underwater aquariums and oh yes, that's like one of the own, other places they've got its little... own aquarium exhibit, but also yeah. the Kugos and it's like aquarium. under the midway. So that's very clever kind of use of space. Yeah, yeah. and um, the Touch Pools for the Bat Race have actually glass bottoms, so you can walk underneath them as part of the actual aquarium exhibit so the queue is on the side of it you don't really get to see there you have to go into the actual aquarium exhibit for it but that's quite neat it's so interesting i, I really this ride has such a cool presence not just because it looks cool but i feel like the entrance of the ride and you go down the queue and it feels like you really go somewhere you go through the walk the exhibit you come out the other side and kind of gradually go up this very like japanese rock garden-esque yeah, the, the, the Manta theme the is Japanese Rock Garden, which is and nice. It's such a Different. nice... It, I just like that it's a queue. The entrance and the and the ride itself are a nice distance from each other. And when you once you go underground through the aquarium and pop out the other side, it kind of... I don't know. It feels like it kind of takes you to another place, like, you, like you've gone somewhere. I like the feeling transported by something in such a simple way. Oh, totally. Like, they created a lot out of a very small space. I here. mean, Manta here was very much like Manta in, in, in Orlando. It yeah. was it was the big, highly integrated aquarium concept coaster, except for here they had to work with that, like, first of all, not really having any coasters besides, you know, the water coaster, and secondly, having the height limit. So they definitely went for a different kind of coaster, but mm-hmm. the overall premise, the overall feel, the overall impressiveness of the integration is very similar to it's Manta that, like, in Orlando here. 10 out of 10 curb appeal, just like Orlando's Manta. Yeah, with like with the like, little splash thing yeah, and everything. Yeah, swooping around with the ride marquee. I mean, I would almost argue that this one is even has even better uh, appeal with the actual entrance. Because like, Manta in Orlando serves double duty as like kind of being the entrance of the park marquee. And then you go over to the entrance of the ride, and the ride's not quite as much of a focus at its own entrance. As but here, in this order to enter, you have to go down these stairs that kind of like a spiral around rock a rock that also that has a coaster track wraps it. around yeah. it. It's just so cool. It's it's just they they really went for it. Like when this park builds a ride, I feel like they they really go for it in a lot of ways. Generally speaking, generally speaking. Some ways they go for it in terms of aesthetic. Other ways they go for it in terms of budget. <laughs> Sometimes they go into it, you know, for the for the whole We're thing. We're talking about Emperor and how it's a little bare, but it's okay because Emperor is amazing. But we'll talk about that later. So the coaster itself, uh, family launch goes with Mac. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now. <laughs> um, multimedia launch tunnel is really neat because you're kind of the theme is that you're underwater and then these like giant rays come behind you and they swoop you up and then you just launch out. This of the was building. only the second installation of Max now very popular very successful globally ubiquitous launch coaster product line so I, I feel like at the time 
this ride, I mean, it, the ride's wonderful. It has aged really well. Um, but I feel like people don't give it enough credit for what it is because at the time, rides like these just, like this ride model wasn't that common. Mac did not have a huge presence in the U.S. yet. It's definitely getting there. And rides like Copperhead Strike and Time Traveler are like the kind of Mac-launched thrill rides that people were craving after Blue Fire was built. So for some people, Manta was like, well, okay, we got our, our Blue Fire in the United States, but we want like a thrill ride. But Manta just continues to demonstrate the substance of that, of the, of, of, of like what they accomplished with this ride and why like it was more than just being special for the manufacturer's sake and the product line sake, the execution and the choices that they made with it with like the entrance plaza and the aquarium integration and how the ride has very, two very distinct halves. Um, It's just, they just earned, they earned themselves a great ride with this. And even as the blue fire clones and other Mac multi-launch rides start popping up everywhere and are becoming more common in the U S more common in Europe, like Manta still feels very, very special, very unique. Oh yeah. It's such a different approach. Because obviously there's Stinky Dog Dash, the first thing I think of when I think of like a large scale family oh Mac coaster. I forgot about that. But then Stinky Dog Dash feels like such a cheap, a childish way of doing That's it. Super it's where Manta really Manta. feels like, hey, we're going to go with a really high quality, we're going to go with aesthetic, we're going to go with something that family, it's family friendly, but like adults will definitely appreciate, not Stinky Dog. So, um, God. it really turned out great. And doing the multi launch thing, as you mentioned, and having some pretty intense moments, the second half of the ride in particular. It has a, has some really good air show moments, and that helix quite has a little intense. baby like sky rush moment as it's entering the the three sixty helix. Well, yeah, air, it's, air, it's quite moment. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like appraisers are also using Slinky great. Dog Dash feels like Manta on a dime, which is so ironic because you wouldn't expect Disney necessarily uh, to do something that another park has already done, but to do it cheaply. But when we're talking Orlando Disney versus California SeaWorld, that's that's exactly what happened, and I'm not even that surprised. And uh, the nice thing about this ride is also when it was added, it was the, the first major, major attraction. It takes up so much space. It still takes up, I think, the most space of any SeaWorld coaster there. Yeah, significantly so. It's just a massive yeah, coaster. It's quite spread out. It doesn't have a lot impressive. of height, but it has a lot of stuff low to the ground. Um, and it's nice because they have those two stations, the three trains. Um, the overall product is really, really strong. I think for a lot of people, it's still the favorite attraction at SeaWorld San, San Diego. I understand why it's very, very popular. It made great use of that space back there. You know, the area back there, like, there's a lot of underused space, like, the, that infrastructure yeah. around the, the Bayside Sky Tower and stuff. And Manta took up, like, a good half of it because there was just so much to work with. But it feels so natural. It doesn't feel like they made a lot of sacrifices. Like, there wasn't, they didn't have to compromise the area's loveliness and presence and quietness for Manta. It just feels very natural. It feels like it was the right choice to 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 use this real estate for. And they still, like, the Flamingos have always been in that corner of the park, as far as I know. So they were able to maintain their, their exhibit. Manta was, was incorporated in such no, a way. No, 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 The Flamingo area was new. Oh, it's new? If I'm not mistaken, I was completely nearly out of it. I mean, it's... Completely integrated. Wait, I was looking at a map from 2004 just now. If anything, the exhibit is new because I remember them building it alongside. No, the flamingos were here in 2004. Yeah, but the exhibit is new for it. 
Right. I mean, they rerouted it. They had to change the shape of it and everything. Yeah. This okay. is a goofy park map that we're looking at from 2004. From, oh, I remember this one. From, like, one like that era of, of SeaWorld Parks Entertainment. Where Especially the weird like, bubbles in the ocean here, or whatever. Yeah. Cir- Cir- Cirque de la Mer, whatever it was called. This weird era of park maps for SeaWorld Parks Entertainment where everything was larger than life and the map was virtually impossible to read because it was trying to look like a freaking Lisa Frank poster. Um... But yeah, it's like they, they did something a lot different with the shape of the Flamingo exhibit, but they... I mean, back there used to be quite kind of a vibe, because as a kid, there was like Pirates 4D, the big oh, show. Yeah, that's right over here. They used to be in here, and this giant um, theater that's in the middle of the of the park. Is that the Freshwater Aquarium? No, the Freshwater Aquarium Where is, is over here. Oh, there it is, yeah. No, this, I mean, moving away from Manta, yeah, Manta, really great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> moving closer back to the bay... There is a giant theater that they've been using for special events. And back in the day, it was used for almost exclusively 4D shows. So when I went as a kid, they had Pirates 4D, whatever. It was really... I mean, I liked That's it a lot. That's so funny. I um, then they had Sesame Place. They had Sesame Street Lights, Camera, Action or whatever. <laughs> so that was also a 4D show. But yeah, there's like there, there's a pretty massive theater in here. It's like a 360 theater. Wow. Um, really cool. I really hope they bring something back in here, even if it's just an attraction, because it takes up a lot of space for SeaWorld standards. See, I was looking at that thinking that that was the Freshwater Aquarium, yeah, and not realizing, okay, it's the not... Freshwater Aquarium's over there. Yeah, it's just, just a circle. Remember, you go in, there's just a circle it's of the so exhibits. Cute. I yeah. love the Freshwater Aquarium, both ironically surprised that they and got unironically. It was so old-looking. Yeah, it, but it was, was very classic. So, so because now with having Aquaria, f- f- uh, World of Fishes Fish gone, cool. yeah, having the Bayside Stadium Aquarium gone, having nothing in the four D theater, and having nothing in the Freshwater, pretty much except for the Bayside Skyride, the whole back of the park, that entire half circle back here, that's like really on the water. Bayside Skyride is very isolated right now. Even I though, know, it even though it's like it shouldn't be back there. Even though Manta is like physically close to it on the back half of it, the right Manta itself. But is Manta's entrance is all the way over by the Shipwreck Rapids and the Orcas. So like, because Manta Bayside is so Skyride large. is so far away from the next attraction. Honestly, in every they direction. should build a ride over here. But I feel like that's what the Skyride feels so special and so hidden. That's another reason I feel like it's fine. Uh, you can charge $6 for it. It's still worth it. No, honestly, now look at the map. With a little luck, hopefully to build maybe even that screaming swing that's room for the park right over the water here because then at least it brings a pretty major traction to the back of the park. As of right now, the amount of infrastructure there is bigger than the rest of the park, but yeah. there really isn't actually anything there anymore. Yeah. Um, it has this, like... It's funny because like, that's how the old park used to be. The old park had, like, the original Orca over here. It was here. You know, it was... You know, the old park was kind of back It has there. such, it's like, an old, like, Cypress Gardens kind of feel to it. Yeah, like, oh, this is the park that used to be Slightly relaxing, but also slightly awkward. Yeah, because even, a, even a in my lifetime, yeah. there was a lot more going on back there. Now it's the deadest it's ever been. Even though there's a lot more liveliness in the front of the park, you know, with all the new areas they've been building, I really hope that's the next focus area at the back. Yeah. Uh, but continuing on past <laughs> the... Um, old freshwater aquarium. Freshwater aquarium. We kind of spill yeah. out and boom, you're now in like a really browsing area again. You're now over at Riptide Rescue, yeah. which is a small hus breakdance. What kind of thing? Yeah. Um, it's a little like a, a little miniature troika. It's a mini troika, that's what it is. Um, really, really fun actually. One of the best rides out there. It's really, really good. And then um, they have the giant, uh, the shark encounter that serves double duty. Yeah, so this 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 area with Riptide Rescue is also where the rescue store is, and it's also where the Turtle Reef and the Shark Encounter are, which are really heavy on the conservation, but especially the Turtle Reef. Uh, Turtle Reef recently reopened with um, reimagined aquariums, and the cool thing about Turtle Reef is that its conser- uh, conservation Focus, story is yeah, really kind of nice. 
Um, so when that you go throughout the exhibit, you have like interactive games, and you have this giant screen that shows all the rescued and re-released, or some of the rescued and re-released turtles, and they have trackers on them. You can see that they would swim all the way across the world since they've been released. It's honestly really, really cool. Um, and Earth Rescue is a fun little ride to kind of tie it together. That building, like that, that it's one building that used to be just sharks, I guess, or, or it used to serve some other purpose, the other side of it that's now... And the entrances are, like, opposite of each other. So, so I don't really know what exactly the other purpose was over here. I think it was manatees. The exhibits had... Oh, no, they never have manatees. Yeah, they did. In this, park, really? in this 2004 park map that's crazy. taught me that there was a manatee rescue at some point in there. San Diego... Um, but yeah, somewhere at, yeah, because uh, it was never all sharks because there's the, the infrastructure doesn't connect inside at all. Right. Like it's always been like this. The shark kind of start. No, it's not super old, but you can see it was never really connected. Yeah. Uh, but okay, so I guess they have manatees there. So yeah, turtle. Okay, now it's all. Turtles. So the manatee thing was all probably relocated to Orlando because that's, that's geographically the where part, they would belong. Yeah. So um, yeah, I just love that that building, that aquarium that is. Two aquariums in one, and both of the even though the entrances are across from each other, they both exit into the rescue area. It's just a very clever, well, yeah, the nice crowd thing about control. The crowd sort of reef is that you really do have your own entrance to it, and then it's, it's quite nice. You actually, can kind of tell how, how Turtle Reef's entrance used to be a service road. Obviously, they 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 spruced it up quite nicely, but it's clear that you it didn't used to be a midway. I think it was a midway. No, it was a midway from Manatee, too, because it was right on the map you just looked at. Yeah, but um, I feel like it wasn't but, always. Um, yeah. It just leads you directly into the gate that exits the, the park, and then you hang a left to enter the exhibit. That's nice to dress up, though. Landscaping, signage. Um, and look at, I mean, the shape of the midway. It's like a perfect, like, regulation road shape to it. I don't know. Maybe I'm just speculating here. But yeah, anyway, let's talk about the reef. So just recently reopened with some tank enhancements. Really nice. Um, pretty much what it is. Exactly what it sounds like. Of like three or four different species of, of sea, turtles. sea turtles. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's honestly really pleasant. They have a giant glass window that's almost like half dome, so you can really stand in the exhibit while the turtles swim over you, which is really neat. I mean, I thought Orlando's turtle setup was nice, but this one is really stunning I and mean, just huge, like a huge exhibit. That's the nice thing about this thing about this park is historically just is the better, bigger exhibit park. Um, and, and, you know, so it's kind of, the, even with the, the three aquariums that we, we so loved in last visit, um, now being gone, it's still one of those parks that um, exhibit-wise is really strong because their shark encounter is also incredible. You start, Amazing. Um, you start above the big tank. Um, I love the approach to it, too. It's like it's a little, it's a little garden moment, a little garden vibe. Oh, yeah, totally, with the waterfall stuff. Yeah. yeah, so you start on top and you're above the giant pool uh, giant tank that uh, the, the finale goes through and you see all the sharks in below you and it's kind of themed to being outside on the beach and looking down into the shark reef which Orlando's doesn't do that no not at all and you get the shark Orlando, you only get it restaurant or you get the tunnel underneath but you don't get the look over top of it and the shark um, collection here is, is much more impressive I feel like there's a lot more going on than yeah. Orlando's Orlando must say has obviously like the regular exhibit within there with all the other fishes, and it has the modern enhancement, all the projection mapping. So even though Orlando's exhibit feels kind of old around the walls, it has a lot of cool enhancements now. Uh, but this one kind of feels more of like its own complete product. This one, well, the reef tanks on the Orlando one are really cool. Like I like that it has the tropical fish reef tank. And it has the lionfish tank. Uh-huh. It also feels a little bit like it's funny that those are there. Like they're there just because they're there. Whereas here it's a little bit more sharks only cohesive. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit more focused. It's like this is sharks. And the nice thing about this is um, 
you have so many more opportunities to just look at the sharks because in Orlando, your, your real opportunity to look at the sharks is only when you go through the glass tunnel at the end. Yeah. But here, it's like you see them from above, you see them from the side. There's a couple of smaller problems. And then you Orlando's. go through it at the bottom, like through the giant tunnel. But then afterwards, you can still step off to the side and they have like this half dome glass. Yes. You can step into the exhibit. So like however long you want to admire the sharks, you can literally spend two hours in there. There's and like it's three fine. points it's of sharks. access for the main shark tank. tank, whereas Orlando's has like one and a half. One the, pretty the much because you have to go after you <laughs> count the restaurant as half because <laughs> you can't just go in there and look at the sharks unless you're eating. Um, and, but yeah, for the shark exhibit in Orlando being the shark exhibit, it's actually a bunch of things in, and also sharks. And the sharks are just the one exhibit at the end, and there's only like one opportunity to look at the shark tank in the shark exhibit. And it's you know the conveyor belt. And same, that's really the focus of the whole exhibit. It's yeah. just shark, shark, shark. Uh, which is funny because we took we took with my dad the second day of this trip, that and, was, he, and he, he hadn't so been excited. since probably two thousand six. Like, I want to see the sharks. I'm like, and like the first thing I wanted to do was like see the sharks. I went straight to this exhibit. It was yeah, fun. That was so cute. Um, <clears throat> right over here, we also you'll have see the, Sean's dad in a little brief cameo on the sky ride in our vlog. We didn't provide any explanation for for him for being, his, for his there, cameo. Yeah. <laughs> so if you saw the vlog already, you're wondering like, who is that? And it's like that's Sean's dad. That's my father-in-law. Um, <laughs> so right in that same area, we also have the um, the sea lion amphitheater with sea lions and walrus, whatever, and otters mm-hmm. um, in the show. And Wait, they have that one has otters too, or is I it? I mean, most of them do. They like you know they go through. Oh yeah, the, the little one. one yes, like there, the yeah. little yeah. Okay, you know it's all the same stuff. Yeah. And then um, they have a seal harbor and a sea lion um, exhibit. Now, funny enough, this is the, the one in San Diego is not quite as large. It's kind of small actually. There's really not that many like on display, but it's also California, so having like, a whole Pacific right oh, sea yeah, lion this, thing. It's, I mean, the sea lions live in Michigan. Totally Bay. dawned on us while so, we were there because I was we we okay. So my, like my my sister and her husband and the girls, the, my nieces, our nieces, came to visit, and we had a week prior to it. They were here SeaWorld, in SeaWorld Orlando, and one of the favorite exhibits. And when we took my parents, we took my parents to SeaWorld too, and everyone agreed that the Pacific North Pacific Point. SeaWorld Orlando was like a huge hit with my it's, family. It, yeah, it's a because giant Northern Pacific, California. Yeah, Pacific Northwest, like and SeaWorld sea San Diego area. doesn't have an attraction like that because they don't need one. <laughs> because most like people right who are there. there have seen them in in yeah in real and it life. Was, it dawned on us like as we were like, oh, their pinniped exhibit is so small because they do not have this like need for a Pacific Northwest like Santa Cruz. Monterey esque uh, themed exhibit because we're right here, like exactly. we're physically right there. So that's actually a special asset for Orlando is having that Northern California themed corner. It's um, quite large, yeah, too, and it's nice and secluded. It's a dead end. It's off to the left of the of the Pinniped Stadium. Like if you don't make a point of going there, you'll miss it. You can't just like walk through it on your way to something else. And it also provides great views of Kraken and Man- uh, Mako. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, right in the same area is also the entrance to the Dolphin Amphitheater. Quite large, actually. They added bleachers to it over time. Like it's so pretty. It's one, you know, kind of like Waterworld at the University of Hollywood. They had to add bleachers to the top of the stadium because it was just so popular. This one is it is very pretty. Um, funny enough, SeaWorld San Diego still has some of the old theater themes because Dolphin Days has not been updated since they moved away from Blue Horizons, and neither has the um, theater for the 
sea lions, but in Orlando, the only theater that are not updated is the Orca Theater, is where here, the or in San Diego, the Orca Theater has like all the new modern rock work and stuff, mm -hmm. but then in um, San Diego, the other two theaters haven't updated yet, as we're in, San, as in Orlando, you know, the, the sea lions and dolphins are all like naturalistic looks now, so I, I wonder if they're going to do that here The too. approach up to this one, Orlando's has a nice approach. Really nice approach in Orlando. Also, Very but you can also see where they like added the they kind of hastily added the ADA-friendly, less steep, like, zigzag walkway, like, mm -hmm. right over the top of some of the exhibits. Whereas this one, it's it's a bit more, per, like, permanent-looking. Um, but, yeah, this is, this, is a great, this is a great theater. We saw the show just kind of, like, we, 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 we weren't even planning on seeing the show. And then we caught it, like, just at the right time. And then we were, like, very impressed with it. Yeah, because the pilot wheels are all here. So they had some pilot wheels in Orlando they moved down here, and they already had the pilot wheel here. So half of the Dolphin um, Dolphin Day show is actually the pilot wheel section. Um, really, really cool because they're such different creatures, and you really don't get a chance to see them. Like, they're so objectivity. underrated. They're so cute. They're like little baby, or like little tiny orcas. Um, but yeah, the, I really liked the show. It was just the right length. The sequence at the end was really quite amazing. They brought all 16 of their dolphins out. And at one point, all 16 of the dolphins were out of the water at the same time. Which yeah, it like was quite cool. Really dope, so. Seawolf San Diego's always had, like, quite an amazing, like, animal aspect of, of things. And they've always had good control of... Well, not really control, sounds kind of weird. But just their choreography and, like, using a lot of animals at the same time has always kind of seemed seamless there. I mean, even the last One Ocean show, um, before Organ Counter was added... They had, what was it? Like, I think they used all, at that point, 10 wheels in the same show. Like, all 10 orcas. It's, it's impressive. Like, it's, you know, stuff that nowhere else on, on Earth that happens. Um, next up, we're going to move a little bit further down to the other edge of the park. And we're going to talk about Penguin Encounter. Facility-wise, yes, it's cold a little animals. old. But, you know, it definitely feels classic. But they're also the only place in North America that has the... Emperor Penguin. Exactly what a new dive coaster is called. Emperor um, really cool. They're really massive. I kind of didn't realize because this was my first penguin encounter I've seen anywhere. I think back in the day, and I never really realized that it was so unique because of the emperor penguin. Uh, but now I think about it, yeah, I haven't seen the emperor penguin anywhere else, so that's kind of cool. Um, and there's also an outdoor exhibit that has some of the Ar Argentina and Chilean. Chile. I, I think. Well, they have a, a name. I call them Chilean penguins because that's where they're mostly where they occur. Is like, but yeah, they're, they're the warm weather ones, yeah. and like the horn of South America. They have a name, but I forget. But they're they're really cute. Six Flags Discovery Kingdom has them too. Yeah, they do. And they're just like these cute little warm, warm, warm weather, weather penguins. And then there's Wild Arctic. Now this Wild Arctic is phenomenal. So obviously, just like uh, just like Orlando's, it used to have the four the uh, the four simulators inside the Star Tours um, that have obviously since closed. They're still there, but they're not being used anymore. And then you would exit into the actual exhibit. This exhibit is outdoor, but you walk through it indoor. But there's a couple of, like, open-air moments. Um, the Beluga facility is awesome. They have these sea otters, the giant, which are just giant otters. Yeah. Mostly found in Alaska. Um, and then, of course, there's some seals peppered throughout. And then they have a giant walrus exhibit. They used to have polar bears, where the sea otters are now. But the sea otters are actually kind of almost more unique, because I don't think I've seen sea otters many other places. They're just these massive otters. They're you like, can, yeah, you they're see like so big. They're like sea lions. You'll see otters. them. Yeah, the only place that I... Like, I associate them, obviously, with the Monterey Bay Aquarium. That is, like, the official... The Monterey Bay Aquarium, which I grew up going to uh, quite frequently, has, like, two mascots. The sea otter and kelp. Yeah. <laughs> because, or, because the first successful, like, kelp forest 
grown in captivity, maintained in captivity, was at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Um, but yeah, so this, I just love the like Pacific sea otters being accessible and visible uh, at aquariums. It reminds me of my childhood. Oh, well, these are Alaska, but yeah. Well, they're Pacific too, aren't they? Well, I guess it's Pacific all the yeah. way there, but yeah. I don't know, whenever I hear of Pacific, I kind of think of Pacific sea lions, you know, I stuff know. that's yeah, going oh, to yeah. Pacific. Anyway. I wonder uh, if they have different ecotypes like the orcas, where if like, they're sure technically the same otter, the ones in well, yeah. California and the ones in Alaska, but they're like native to these different regions, so they have different like evolutionary uh, traits that they've acquired over time. I don't know. Beluga-wise, it's cool because they have three belugas, um, and the, the setup is quite large. So there's a large over, like, you know, area you can watch upstairs, and there's a really large underwater area. Um, obviously larger and perhaps nicer. I would say nicer for sure than, than the Orlando counterpart. Yeah. So we really like this wild arctic. And this wild arctic is also um, going to receive, like, 99% sure it's happening, um, a coaster. So instead of where the simulators are right now, they're going to be building a coaster station, and then it's going to be Arctic scoop, like what is a snowmobile themed? Yeah. So you would leave the building, and then uh, there's a triple launch roller coaster, kind of like um, rescue coaster. What is it called? Wavebreaker. Wavebreaker rescue coaster at Seattle San Antonio, but instead on a little. I think more this one's going to be. To it's going to be like a bit like a, the next step up from like Manta in terms of intensity. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more like the one Bolton. at SeaWorld <laughs> in Australia. Yeah. Uh, not same theme park, but or not same chain, but yeah. similar coaster. It's going to be like that. So that'll be fun. Um, it'll be nice to have a wild Arctic themed attraction again that exits into the exhibit, and it also happens to be an actual. Um, you know, new coaster for the park. Great to have another coaster, another new coaster. We're so SeaWorld San Diego like really spoils us, I think, because no one has ever considered this a coaster park, but now they're they're they've realized like they're really they're on this this coaster kick. I mean, at one point they were on track to have built four. If you count Tidal Twister, they were poised to open four roller coaster attractions in four years. Um, with the Wild Arctic one originally having been scheduled for 2021 following the 2020 opening of Emperor, which obviously didn't happen. Um, yeah, it was going to be 2018 Electric Eel, 2019 Tile Twister, 2020 Emperor, 2021 uh, Wild, Wild Arctic, Arctic coaster. coaster. It's amazing. I'm really, really impressed. Like, I'm grateful and relieved and surprised, honestly, that the uh, Wild Arctic Coaster is still happening because it was pulled you know, mid by mid twenty twenty, it was just obvious that that was not going to happen, as they put it, or as it was told. You know, anytime soon. Like nobody knew, nobody thought that it was it was going to happen anytime soon, if at all. So the fact that it's back on the table is is really really fortunate, very exciting. Um, so I think the next really we just have uh, our coasters, the big coasters to talk about. Uh, I really journey to Atlantis here. Is it, in the timeline of Atlantis? Oh, I've never noticed the trident that no, the ride it, goes around. Is, from, yeah, that was part of relaunch. Yeah. That's so funny. That's clever. Um, in the in, in the lexicon of Journey to Atlantis coasters, because it quickly became the signature like SeaWorld coaster experience. It's one that all three of the SeaWorld parks share, albeit all three of them are extremely different rides. And they've for a lot of people, the the Journey to Atlantis coasters between the SeaWorld parks have trended down. And I wouldn't necessarily consider it a downtrend. It was just that all three parks needed different things out of their respective Journey to Atlantis ride experiences. Yeah, one needed to be a dark ride, one needed to be the park's first coaster, and the other needed to be a big water ride. Yeah. So, you know, they're all kind of different So, I don't... Needs. I 
I really enjoy all three of these Journey to Atlantis coasters for what they are, and I think at this point, San Diego's is probably my favorite. Orlando's... Despite its new colors being kind of questionable, <laughs> it's still a great ride. I feel Orlando's definitely feels like a shadow of its former self, and I, I'm often... I haven't ridden it in a while. It's been probably over a year. Um, but I'm often distracted in the dark ride portion of the ride by what is no longer functioning. Especially, like, the big, what, like, the Medusa head or whatever that used to pop out, like, before the main lift hill. Yeah. Like, there was just a lot going on in there, and I feel like I never, I mean, I didn't even ride it until 2016, and I'm sure by then a lot had already changed. It's just very apparent that the Journey to Atlantis in Orlando used to be a much more substantial, like, Universal Studios, Disney-level dark ride experience that also had the water coaster drop and then, like, the, the surprise, like, coaster track bit at the end. Whereas SeaWorld San Diego's was always about, like you said, about being this park's first coaster. Um, it has a really, like, enjoyable layout that is still totally unique to this oh, ride. Oh, and it's, it's quite impressive how they have engineered this ride because it has a regular lift hill, but then the regular lift hill has, a, has, like, a, has like, a U-turn around the second elevator. Yeah. Um, and then it's kind of attached to the elevator structure, which is hidden in a giant yeah, Atlantic like tower. silo. Then they you go into the next tower, which has the actual drop in it. I think the silos are, like, really attractive looking. I don't know what else to call them other than silos, but they're, like, they're really p- pretty looking, and they are they serve a purpose. I like... So you, like, enter the one that the drop is inside of, right? Like, and then you p- continue. And you move through it. And then you the pass through elevator. it into the elevator. And this is still the only Mac water coaster with an elevator lift till if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and elevator system. The most yeah. similar it's most it's it's quite similar to like uh like Pilgrim's Plunge for any of you who were fortunate enough to ride that in its short lived time or like Divertical at Mirabolandia, like these um these two shaft elevator water coasters from Intamin where you kind this of reminded us Perilous Plunge and never had an elevator. <laughs> Perilous Plunge? Yeah. It didn't. It just had a regular lift. Yeah, it just had a regular lift. I know, but you're talking about... I'm talking about Pilgrim's Plunge. Oh, you said Perilous. Oh, I did? Yeah. I was like, no, no. No, I meant Pilgrim's Plunge. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Because of that very distinct, like, reverse hourglass-looking left hill shaft where, like, you go up it and you kind of tilt to the left and then you tilt to the right as you're going up it. Whereas a ride like Cobra's Curse, for example, they've streamlined it even more by like shifting you left and right instead of having the vehicle yeah. elevator actually feel those curves. Um, now, one thing that's fun about this coaster is that it has an actual coaster part to it for a water coaster, and it's completely newly designed. Yeah. Um, so the coaster part is quite thrilling because there's kind of like two coaster parts, um, but it's also just nicely landscaped. And one thing that was really fun when it first opened is that uh, so when you exit the attraction, you have to instead of going over the station, you actually go below the station. And it's quite far down. And you go come all the way up near the entrance plaza. Now, and you uh, circumnavigate underneath the queue itself as well. So you kind of are, there's quite some underground infrastructure here. Funny enough, uh, but then when you come up, you face this aquarium. Now it's race and fish, but it used to actually be a dolphin exhibit. It used to be oh, the Commerce and dolphins, dolphins that were then moved to Aquatica when it opened in Orlando in 2008. So when you look at it from above, you can still see how there was like a holding pool and how it was like the main the main exhibit. Um, but now it's just turned into two aquariums. It's actually quite neat uh, because that's one of the cleanest exits yeah. in each This ride has a great pleasant presence, and it's 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 a really pleasant ride. Um, and this is, I mean, the the San Antonio 
Journey to Atlantis is just a max super splash, which is a water coaster, essentially, but it's, like, a different product line, and for... Mac rides, they've been selling it more as like a shoot the shoot type of ride, more than like also, a roller like coaster no type of ride. Yeah, San Antonio's has no theming, and it's it's very straightforward. It's still a cute ride, and again, it was really about just giving the park another water ride because Texas, they just, World, I think water. they were they were getting ready to demolish the log flume. <laughs> I think it closed shortly a few years after turning to. I could be wrong, but it, I think they were just like ready to amp up the water attractions over there and more than they because they already had multiple roller coasters more than what they needed like it wasn't a roller coaster that they needed with Journey to Atlantis it was a shoot the shoot yeah. with giant like 20 passenger boats to get a lot of people really wet really quickly um, and, and in that way it's a success I don't know if SeaWorld San Antonio will ever be the kind of park that like needs a super integrated like roller coaster experience with like the aquariums and stuff like something like Manta or the Journey to Atlantis. It doesn't have quite have the competition like that. It's not, like, it's just not, it's not like they're like an hour from, from like a Disney Park. Yeah, it just doesn't yeah. need it. And, but then I feel like everything that SeaWorld San Antonio does these days is is quite impressive. I think Wave Wavebreaker was a cool choice. I'm not a personally a huge fan of it, but it's a likable ride. Well, it's nice it goes all over the water. The turtle area with like Texas Stingray in it and stuff is like a slam dunk. Like. That's a really nice marriage of, like, amusement park rides and animal exhibits, uh, just, like, right there in, in one uh, even stroke. Uh, and then and then there's Emperor, which I think it's time to talk about. We're saving Emperor for last because we know, like, for all of our more coaster-centric listeners, this was, like, the main reason to listen to this podcast at all. Um, so if you've been waiting for us to talk about Emperor, thank you for sticking it out with us through our entire... Emperor. (laughs) Emperor is interesting in a way that, um, the ride itself, on a roller coaster standpoint, is phenomenal. Absolutely one of our favorite M&Ms. It's quite amazing how different it runs on a B&M's. It's our favorite B&M dive machine, and that's saying a lot, because we have ridden a majority of them. And landscaping-wise, it is probably the least... Landscape coaster Seawolves put out like in a very long time. It's, it is it's just almost embarrassingly it's, it's under landscape. But um, <laughs> the coaster itself is just it's just really really good. Um, and I think that's all that really matters at the end of the day because it, it's, not, it's not like it's concrete underneath. There's it. it's not still a lot gravel, of but infrastructure around the ride. There's like no there's no buildings. There's a, a covered locker and shop area. The station is completely uncovered, and then the the. Q is uncovered with the exception of the station area where there's boat sails. Just two. Two large boat sails covering where people queue up for the individual rows of the ride. I mean, this ride is... This ride takes minimalist to, a, like, a new level. <laughs> it is so... And in a, in a way, it's kind of a vibe. Like, it is it is so deliberately understated. It's very California in a way. They, it really feels kind of like Young Beach. Yeah, even though it's... They San to, Diego to has Penguin, the luxury of being like, you know, we don't have to build a lot of buildings. We don't need a lot of roofs here. When you walk up to the ride, it has such an amazing, like, wow factor because the entire roller coaster just feels completely unobscured. It is so visible and present in its space. The only thing obscuring any of the ride from view from the midway is just, like, the berms that they situated around the rides just to give 
around the elements, uh, yeah. around the element, just to give it a little bit of to- topography, topography <laughs> variance. But I mean, it's it's just I don't know. And there's in a way, it's like a stark contrast from the the lush nature of especially some of the older parts of the park. It's hard to believe that this ride is in the same park as like. The area around Mesa. Which is due to the fact that it's a parking lot. <laughs> it used to be a parking lot. It's, yeah. So, yeah, you know, you could do a lot worse. And the California pedigree of B&M floorless coasters that used to be a parking lot. Uh, yeah, this we've is called the Medusa yeah. to Scream to, to now Emperor. Um, I really can't say enough great things about the roller coaster itself. I could ride this all day. Yeah, so well, let's talk about it a little bit. So obviously, um, in the newer HKO, so lift goes really fast. Um, but the nice thing about this is that they made this careful choice of having the turnaround on top be like a full turnaround. You get an amazing view of Mission Bay. And you face the ocean and the rest stunning. of the park for the drop. Really, really neat. Uh, ride itself, super intense, incredible pacing. Something you just are not used to from B&M coasters. So having... The, s- the swiftness of this ride's pacing is so unlike a B&M dive machine. It doesn't feel like a B&M dive machine, but like in a really good way. Because there's no drag, there's no pacing issues... It is just, okay, you drop, and then it's just really intense all the way to the end. Even the last turn, it's just like super high-speed turn straight into the magnetic brakes. And you have this giant magnetic brake run to slow the train down. It slows so gently. It's crazy how good this Even the brake run is. is a pleasant highlight. It's amazing how this ride and Shikra are technically part of the same product line, and they just could not be more dissimilar. And then the elements are quite unique because um, you have an Immelman, which, I mean, we've seen elements on, on water. But this is a tight Immelman. But it's a tight Immelman. It's not like a big, sweeping, like, Griffin, Shikra Immelman. This thing, it just it, you just tear right through it. And then you have this um, overbank, almost like top hat kind of hammerhead turn, which the park says is not an inversion, but it's quite it definitely an inversion. It feels like an inversion. Um, and then after that, which you go through with so much speed, that if you sit in the edges, you, get, you kind of get like a whip out of it. Um, then you have this step-up underflip kind of situation, really unique for a wind coaster. Uh, sorry, for a dive coaster. Hasn't been done before. Really intense. Very different. And then you finish up after that with a giant stretch-out corkscrew. Again, something we haven't seen before in a dive machine. And then you have that really high-speed fan turn into the final brakes. Um, pretty much every inch of this ride feels very, very unique. Even though it has like, a couple elements that we've seen on other coasters in some way, shape, or form. Even maybe a dive machine like the Immelman. The way that, that Emperor navigates the, the ride and the speed at which it does so... Makes it just so much different, like so intense, so different. I, I, I don't really know how else it to describe says, it. It's a the great elements ride. look like your typical drawn out B&M inversion fare, but it's hard to appreciate from ground level just how much taller the first drop is than the entire rest of the ride. And that's where they see amazing success here because none of the other elements of the ride concern themselves with being anywhere near as tall as the first drop. And that's where the pacing comes from. This thing tears it up. It just goes... Is, does this ride have three trains? No, two. This is just a station mechanism. Because the little... Oh, I see it. I see it. Okay. I, we're still on Google Earth, like, admiring uh, this goofy ride with no station and, like, nothing covering the maintenance bay or anything. Um, but, yeah, basically the size of the inversions, all of the elements, in relationship to the height of the drop is where this ride just sings. Because... It really, it just barrels through it. It's so swift, satisfying, smooth. And in a lot of ways, it, it is some of the great qualities of a dive coaster, great qualities of wing coasters even, with some of these elements like the giant stretched out corkscrew and the, the step up underflip. Like these are very 
wing coastery kind of moments that when you sit on the outside of the train on the edge, you definitely, it, it just lends itself to some of the more forceful wing coaster products. Something like um, Phoenix at Toverland comes to mind when I think of a, a wing coaster of a similar scale and execution to uh, Emperor. Um, and then also floorless coasters. Like this is the park's, this is a traditional looping coaster. It's their floorless coaster, a floorless looper that just also happens to have a vertical drop. It just accomplishes so much in such a, a compact package. It, it checks so many boxes. And it's funny because people are like, oh, it's small coast. I mean, first of all, dive coasts never do a whole lot. Second yeah. of all, if you look at the stats, it's still longer than Valkyria, for example, in Sweden. And uh, honestly, it feels a lot like, like Valkyria at Liseberg because um, it kind of has a really modern approach to it, doing kind of mm-hmm. the inversions, doing the turns. Uh, it's just phenomenal. And it's just, it's so much more than what a lot of dive coasters are. Uh, Baron is a great ride, a little on the short side, still longer than like, for, like Krake at Hyde Park, certainly longer and more substantial than like the first generation dive coasters. But then I feel like this ride still has more to offer than even like Griffin or Shikra or, or even Val Raven. Like I just, you know, I didn't care for Val Raven. Something about the pacing just felt a little too much like what we'd already seen. Val Raven feels like some of the lower, like, the some of the weaker qualities of Shikra, but, like, none of the strengths. Then you have Emperor, which is, like, the other side of the coin. It, it has taken so many great qualities from three different product lines from B&M and distilled them and encapsulated them into this compact little 2,400-foot coaster that is just such a slam dunk. I mean, this would be a great ride for any park. So it's really special that SeaWorld has it because they have so few coasters it's their first B&M. We've never seen a B&M coaster uh, on this side of the country before. I mean, aside from Silver Bullet at Knott's Berry Farm, you'd have to go all the way to Magic Mountain to find another B&M. And it's also the West Coast's first B&M dive coaster. It's just, I just can't it's say funny. There's only four parks it. on the West Coast that have um, B&M's. B&M's. It's Great America. Well, five, I guess. It's um, Discovery Kingdom, Great America, yeah. Knott's, Magic Mountain, and SeaWorld. But... Just a couple of years ago, just like in the early 2000s, there were only three parks that have B&Ms, and now you know there's one in SeaWorld, one in Knott's, but overall, this feels very unique for the region, it feels like a great addition, and when, you come, when, you go, when you're in a region, or like on the, on the East Coast, even when there's just a bunch of B&Ms everywhere, you really start appreciating you know, the kind of presence that a B&M has at the place like SeaWorld City, almost like Electric Eel, you know? it feels like this giant, giant coast, even though it's not quite as large as other B&Ms in the state. Um, it really has this massive presence. I yeah, really like, like that. If you're if you travel a lot, you've ridden a lot of coasters, you've ridden a lot of B and M's. This ride is still going to feel special to you. It's going to feel special in a way that maybe uh, a, some of the other B and M's in the state or really anywhere are going to feel like reminiscent of things you've already ridden. Somehow, this ride just feels like it really defies categorization. When you ride it, it feels like such an eclectic collage of, of things that B&M has done and even some things that feel new um, to the point where you're going to ride it and you, and you might say to yourself like, oh, there's really nothing quite like this in B&M's lexicon right now. And that's saying a lot. That's really special. It's a really special ride for SeaWorld San Diego to have ended up with. So Having said that, going with the ride expectations, the coaster itself is great, but yeah, as a landscaping, of <laughs> the course, landscaping. is not amazing. They have this very narrow pathway between like the business end of Journey to Atlantis and the business end of Wild Arctic. 
Um, yeah, to get to the ride. And it's got like its own little like ride promenade. Yeah. And, you know, they build a little garden next to it. And there's some, there's some benches it's and stuff. Still, but I still love, and, and like you see a lot of the ride from Journey to Atlantis. So it has its marquee there. And that looks great. And you walk through the corridor and you come around the corner and it's there to the right. And it looks awesome. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of subtlety there. Um, it's very, it's very, I don't want to say plain, because it's not plain. It's just, it's very understated. Very, very understated. There might even be room for some more landscaping. No, I do hope that they do some more landscaping. <laughs> I'd like some, some more landscaping. Theming, but overall, it's just a great addition. We're glad it's there. We are definitely already planning on coming back soon to, to ride it some more, because it's such a good coaster. So if you haven't gotten convinced yet, hopefully this convinced you to go. But definitely give Seawold San Diego a visit. It's one of our favorite parks in the country. It has a really pretty solid coaster lineup that people don't necessarily think about when they think of coasters. Uh, but between Journey Atlantis, Electric Eel, Manta, and Emperor, there's four really solid uh, coasters that definitely are worth the run to the park. So uh, hopefully you will visit soon if you haven't yet, and if you have, come back. And uh, we know we'll be back soon. Yes, we'll be talking about it once again. That is true. We'll talking about this part. And Obviously. stay tuned on um, thecoasterkings.com. We're going to release some articles about the best SeaWorld coasters, best BDM coasters. Um, and of course, the best SeaWorld in Bush Gardens parks that obviously mentions SeaWorld San Diego. On our YouTube channel, we have the new SeaWorld San Diego vlog. And then uh, check out our social media accounts for lots of new content, pictures. We took some amazing sunset pictures mm-hmm. from Mission Bay of the park that we're really excited to share. And uh, of course, TikTok is TikTok. We, uh, we got some TikToks on there as well. Yeah. So we'll see you online. We thank you for listening to this episode, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.